listening to Resilient and Rowdy. I'm your host, Jess James. Tune in to hear unfiltered discussions and stories of the bold and the brave. So kick back and enjoy some R&R. Okay, we're live. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I get nervous every time. Okay. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Jess. And today we've got uh, Scott Deluzio kicking off season two for the R&R podcast. Um, Scott is, I'm going to let him introduce my, himself. Scott, welcome. Thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm doing great. And thank you for having me. Um, yeah. So my name is Scott Deluzio, like you said, and uh, you nailed the last name, by the way. Most people get that wrong. <laughs> so um, uh, I'm the author of the book Surviving Son, uh, an Afghanistan war veteran reveals his nightmare of becoming a gold star brother uh, and also the host of the Drive On podcast. I'm an Army uh, veteran, uh, served in Afghanistan in 2010 uh, with my my brother was also deployed in 2010, where he was tragically killed, uh, which is where the book comes from. And uh, you know, since coming back home, I've uh, really done a lot of work trying to support veterans through my podcast and now the, the book that I have out and, uh, you know, really trying to uh, raise raise uh, awareness of the issues that veterans are having. You know, yeah, that's space. awesome, Scott. And I, I really appreciate that because um, it comes from a very sincere place, I can tell, and it, I really appreciate just how open you are. Um, and we need more of that, you know. Uh, there's a lot of people that are starting to, you know, look around and see their brothers and sisters, and they don't want them to struggle. So I think yeah. as long as like you're doing something, I mean, that's a lot better than, you know, push-ups. So <laughs> right, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so I guess, uh, think, yeah, and great way to just like introduce yourself, just boom, boom, boom. Um, but tell me about your journey, like throughout everything. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and and I talk a lot about this in the the book too. But I, you know, just to you know, give the listeners a, a kind of little peek inside of what 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 i i went through and everything so my brother and i were both raised in a very patriotic family we uh we grew up uh respecting the military and yeah i remember when we were little kids going out out to an air force base uh near near our house and uh greeting the troops coming back from desert storm and uh you know we had these little like junior camouflage uh outfits on and, and stuff like that we were all you know all excited about it. And, you know, people growing up, a lot of times it's uh, Superman and, and things like that, that are their heroes. But I, we looked up to the military and, and the police and, and things like that. And, you know, there's even videos of us holding American flags and singing the national anthem before we could actually get the words out. So like we were, that's the kind of family that we grew up in. It was a very, very patriotic. We we're proud of our country. You know, we, we wanted, uh, you know, the best for our country and, and, and everything like that. And then, you know, fast forward a few years, then 9-11 happened. I was in college uh, when when that took place, my sophomore year, and that just it just enraged me. Like I I actually considered just dropping out of school that day and just joining the army, and because I knew there was going to be something, you know, some response to it. I didn't know what it would entail or whatever, but I was like, screw it, I want to be part of it, and I, I want to get involved with this, and uh, you know. I, I slept on that decision for, for a few days and I decided, you know what, there's a lot of people who, you know, my parents, especially who invested in my education and and I didn't want to just throw all that away just 
because of what, what happened. And so I, I decided, you know, if there's going to be something it's, it, my, my guess was it was probably going to be a longer term war. It wasn't going to be like a desert storm where it was just going to be a quick in and out kind of thing. And so I decided, you know, I'll stay and get my, my degree. And then if they still feel the same way after I graduate, then I'll, I'll, I'll enlist or, you know, join the army or, or whatever. And so fast forward a, a few years, my brother uh, joins the army national guard in, in Vermont. He was going up uh, to school up there uh, at, uh, Norwich University, and uh, which is a military uh, college where the the ROTC was kind of kind of formed was was up at uh, Norwich, and um, he had a friend who was in the National Guard, and he he joined, and this was two thousand four, sometime uh, in two thousand four, and I was just like, oh my god, this is these are like the people that we grew up like idolizing almost <laughs> like now my brother is this guy. Like now I'm, I'm looking at him like, Oh my God, that's so cool that you're, you're doing this thing. And then of course, as you know, a bigger brother, I was like, well, if my brother can do it, there's, I mean, no way, no way I'm going to let him just do it. And you know, but, but that wasn't the only thing either. It was, you know, when, when in 2005, I, I heard a report on the news that the army was struggling to meet their recruiting numbers. And I, that just, pissed me off. I was like, what happened to all those people from September 12th who was, who were ready to throw down and, you know, get in the fight like right then, you know, it's where, true. where are all those people? And then I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, well, I am those people like, and I'm young enough. I'm healthy enough. Like why, why shouldn't I join the military? And so I was like, you know what, if my, my brother could do it, I can do it. So why not? Let's, let's, let's do it. And so I joined the, uh, the Connecticut army national guard as an infantryman, my brother and I both were infantrymen and uh, both of our units fell under the same brigade. And so in 2010, we, we were all uh, deployed. The whole brigade was deployed to Afghanistan. Um, so we were in separate locations, but we're, I mean, we're relatively close, but not close enough to really have ever seen each other. Cause just the terrain and everything like that, we just never operated in the same areas. Um, but, but yeah, so in, in August of 2010, uh, both of our units were out doing missions on a, on a fairly regular basis. I was out far enough that I was so remote that I, I didn't have access to call home for probably two or three weeks. Um, and my, my brother's unit, he, they were still operating out of their, their base that they normally were. So they called home a little bit more regularly, but, um, in late August, 2010, he was killed, uh, on a mission. Um, and, and it was just a, you know, a, a terrible situation, obviously, uh, losing any American soldiers over, over there is, is obviously terrible. But, um, that day we actually lost two American soldiers. There was, my brother was killed first and then another soldier, Tristan Southworth, he, he was killed, uh, shortly after as they were trying to evacuate my, my brother's, uh, body out of, out of that area. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, I, I kind of glossed over a whole, whole series of, you know, bunch of years and, you know, events and things like that. But I talk about all of these, these events in the book, uh, mm -hmm. surviving son. And it's, it's really, really a, my way of sharing the insights of just, you know, one soldier's life. And, you know, this right. was my life over there and it, it had a very tragic ending, you know, with the death of my brother. Um, but I feel like it's important for people to tell their stories uh, especially people who who served in in combat in in wars of it, not even necessarily in combat you know in in a support role or or something along those lines because 
there are lessons for future generations to learn from all of these stories. And if we can piece together all the little pieces and make a big picture of, you know, kind of what, what took place over there and what was going through the minds of, of the people who were fighting over there, you know, maybe we can make better decisions in the future. And so, so that's one of the reasons that I, I put this book out there. Wow. Well, Scott, thank you for just being really vulnerable and opening up about that. I really admire your strength. So were you notified while you were in Afghanistan about your brother? Okay. Wow. So yeah, I was. Yeah. So, so like I was saying, I, I was on a mission the day my brother was killed. I, I was, we were out in some remote village uh, searching through for uh, evidence of, you know, Taliban activity. They, we had, uh, it, information that the Taliban had stolen Afghan army uniforms and uh, weapons and, and things like that in this particular village. So we, we went through and we were doing a joint operation with the Afghan army. So, um, you know, we were going through this village with them. They were kind of taking the lead. Was, I, I like to uh, make the analogy of like a driver's ed instructor where you have the driver's ed instructor in the passenger seat with the brake. Yeah. And so I feel like we were like the, the instructor where we could pump the brakes if, if things got a little out of control. Um, but mm -hmm. they were they were behind the wheel and, and doing the majority of this uh, this operation through this through this village. And um and I got a call on the radio from the commanding officer and, and I was a, a sergeant. And so uh, if anyone knows anything about the chain of command, you know that the commanding officer typically doesn't just go straight down to the sergeant. They work their way, the message down through the chain of command. Right. And, um, and so when I, I found that he was trying to contact me directly, I was like, what the hell did I do wrong? Like something really bad must have happened. Oh, okay. And, 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 but I didn't know at the time, like what, what it was. So I, I was checking all my guys equipment. Like, did someone lose something or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just going through my brain, trying to figure out what, what was going on. Yeah. And, uh, and so eventually I link up with him and he, and he's like, all right, come on over here to this. It was this area, like kind of behind some rocks and stuff. And, and he's like, you know, come over here, take a knee, take your helmet off. I'm like, they, wait a minute. They never take you to tell you to take your helmet off, like, especially outside the wire in a combat zone, like never. I'm like, so something's up, like something bad is up. And I, I just couldn't imagine what it could have been because at the time, like I didn't even consider it a possibility that my brother could be injured or killed at all because that's, and I think this is common with a lot of people. That's something that happens to like, quote unquote, other people. Like that, that's just, that's a thing that you read about in the news. That's not something that hits home personally. Right. And so I, I was thinking about anything else other than him. I didn't, he didn't even cross my mind in terms of uh, him being a possibility for why the commanding officer was, was looking for me. Um, and so he, I, I take a knee and I, he starts telling me, uh, you know, that your brother's unit was, was ambushed and that my brother had gotten hit. And so still, not even a possibility that he could be dead in my head. Right. I'm going through the logistics, big brother style, like looking for how do I get to him? Does he need blood? Does he need a organ? Does he, you know, whatever. If I have it and I don't need it, he can have it. Like yeah. get me there. And, and, uh, then he's like, no, you don't understand. He was killed. And I was, it was just like complete disbelief. And I was in shock. And, and of course, you know, naturally I, I just broke down. I was, I was a big mess. Um, and about 20 minutes after finding out that my brother was killed, our own unit started taking fire from the Taliban, from that village that we just came out of. So clearly the Afghan army did not do a great job finding all the weapons and, and everything else. So, um, so I had to just put my personal issues aside, put that grieving aside and, and almost forget about it for a little while and, and 
literally put the army hat back on literally and figuratively. And, and I had guys that I was in charge of and, and I, I needed to be their leader and I needed to be there for them, uh, regardless of what I had going on in my life. So I, I picked up my stuff and I, I went over to where my guys were and I made sure that they were, you know, positioned correctly, that they had, you know, were behind cover and, uh, they had, ammunition that they needed. And I, I, I had to do that, that type of work and, and make sure that that was going on. Um, but I also needed to not get injured or killed myself because the last thing I wanted to have happen was have my parents get a second knock on the door saying, Hey, yeah. you're, by the way, you remember how we said your son was killed? Well, yeah, by the way, the other one's killed too. And you know, that would just be absolutely devastating to them. Not, not that losing one wasn't devastating enough, but losing two on the same day would have just been, I don't know if they would have been able to recover from that. And so, um, and plus I had a wife and a newborn son at home and I, I, I needed to survive for them. And, and so I need, I needed to fight to, uh, you know, make sure I stayed alive, but I also wanted to make sure my, my men stayed alive and made sure that nothing happened to them. Because if looking back on it, if, if anything had happened to them, because my head was an on right, I don't know if I would have been able to forgive myself, you know, because mm-hmm because I wasn't in the right place mentally. And so I, I needed to, to put all that aside, but, but my, my grief turned to, to just straight anger and frustration at the whole situation. I was angry at every Afghan didn't matter if they were fighting or not. I was angry at the kids. I was angry at the, the adults. I was angry at our interpreters who I was actually friends with. I still am friends with them. And, you know, and I was just angry at all of them for not, fighting themselves. And, and that was not fair of me to, to think because they were doing a, a lot of work over there and, and they were, they were doing some, some work, but, but it, it, I was just angry that my brother had to come over there and die. And, and it didn't just didn't sit right with me. And it, it was just a, you know, just pure rage and anger and frustration at, at these people. And, and it was just not good. Yeah. Wow. I really appreciate that. Like the honesty, like it just seems like that grieving process was just like, I mean, one, the resilience to have to like put that aside and carry on. Like you said, I think when you and your brother both went over there, it was like, all right, let's do our best to take care of ourselves and Mm -hmm. do what we need to do. And like you said, you, you didn't even worry about, or were thinking about your brother because you were just in straight, like it's, it's game time. Like, Mm -hmm. again, you can't be thinking about anything else because every second is important and crucial. So I really admire that. But also, um, again, like I said, appreciating that honesty. And when you are starting to grieve your brother, like it comes out in that anger. And I totally understand like being angry. I personally don't like being angry, but I've struggled with that anger. And it's just like, it's resentful. It's cold. and, And I'm really glad that like you've overcome that, but just, but again, just that's like, that's just the, the, I mean, the honest truth of grieving your brother over there. You did the best right. you could. And I think compared to how anyone else would have uh, responded, that was what you could do given the circumstances. But right. I just, I really, really admire your strength and, and like what, what really inspired you to share the story? Because I feel as if like, anyone who enlists or commissions or gets into the military, you know, we do have similar jobs, similar um, enlistments, but really our experiences can be so different. Like everyone's experience can be 
completely like far from the next guy and with some similarities, of course, but just you, you just come across so many different people, so many different paths. So did you actually stay in the military any, any longer after uh, that deployment or after losing your brother? Like what was that like still being? Yeah. So I, I, I got out of the military so he he was killed in August of 2010. I got out in June of uh, 2011. So you know, for, I stayed in for almost a year, not quite a year uh, longer. Um, but I had I, that that day. I actually had uh, uh, injured myself earlier uh, in the day. Uh, on uh, we we flew into that village uh, on helicopters, and when I got off the helicopter, I I fell and injured my knee, and so. Uh, a couple months after getting home, I ended up get, having a knee surgery that was going to take a long time to uh, recover from right. uh, in terms of, like the physical therapy and all that kind of stuff that I, I needed to go through. And mm -hmm. it would have brought me through to the end of my enlistment. Like, so I was going to be basically out of commission as an infantry soldier. Like if you can't run and walk around with a pack on your back, which I, I was on crutches, I couldn't do any of that stuff. Um, uh, you know, if you can't do that, you're, you're not really able to do any of the training that, that we had to do. And so, um, I, I would, I would go into our, our drills, you know, the national guard one week and a month, two weeks a year. And I, I would go in there and I, I would be sitting around while everyone else is off doing something else. And I'm just sitting there because I'm, I'm sidelined. I, I can't do anything. I, I felt completely useless. Mm -hmm. And, and I felt like, like, I just didn't have that same drive or passion for what I was doing anymore. It just, it just disappeared. And I, and I knew I wasn't the the leader that my my soldiers needed me to be. I, I knew I wasn't, uh, you know, you know, just simple things like you know, packing list when they're going out to the field. You know, if you don't want to bring enough socks for you know the this weekend out in the field, I don't care. You're a grown ass man. You can do whatever the hell you want. And, you know, yeah, like that's understandable. <laughs> but I, I see where you're coming from. Like you you're comparing the leader that you used to be. Yeah. To, to where you're at at that point in your journey. So, right. And I, and I, and I think, I think the, that feeling of like just feeling useless was, it just kind of like trickled over and made me, made me feel like I, well, I should just be useless because I, I, I can't do anything. And it's like, you know, the, the little stuff that I could do didn't really seem all that meaningful to me. Right. And so I, I knew, I knew that I wasn't being the, the best soldier that I could be. And, um, what I, what I ended up doing was looking into like, what were my options? You know, could I get out of the military early, um, so that I wouldn't have to, you know, stay until the end of my, my enlistment, uh, you know, because of the circumstances that I was under and, and the army has a regulation called the surviving sons and daughters, which is, uh, probably what you might think of as the saving private Ryan scenario where, you know, they, they go and take this last guy out, but, but it's really, it really fit my situation where, um, you know, anyone who loses a brother or sister or, you know, a family member like that in, in combat, the way I did, uh, falls under this, you don't necessarily have to be the, the last surviving member of, of the family. So mm -hmm. in this case, I happen to be, but, um, you know, it, it, you don't have to be necessarily, but that's where the, the title of the book surviving son comes from. And, um, and it, it, it really is my, you know, how I was able to get out of the military. And, and it was a difficult decision to make for me because I, you know, I, I knew 
I knew I wasn't the best soldier that I, I could be, but I, I also knew that like growing up as a patriotic in a patriotic family, I, I knew uh, like that, that was something I, I wanted to to do. I was proud of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I also knew for my family, every time I, I put the uniform back on and, and I was leaving the house, it was just emotional and traumatic and, and stuff. And it was like, they're reliving this all over again. And, and it just wasn't, fair to them either. So, so I decided to get out under this, uh, surviving sons and daughters, uh, uh, regulation. And, uh, you know, when I, when I put in the paperwork for it, uh, it took a couple months for, for it to get through just like anything in the government. It's slow as, mm-hmm. <laughs> slow as, as can be. But, um, it, when I finally got, got it approved, um, it was, I, I found out that I got it approved through a phone call. Uh, one morning I woke up, I got a phone call from my platoon sergeant and he said, Hey, by the way, uh, your paperwork got approved. You're out. And so I went to bed the night before thinking I'm still a soldier. And then the next morning, like a light switch went off. I, all of a sudden I'm not. And so I lost that identity in a blink of an eye and I wasn't really prepared for it. And, and I, I wish I was better prepared for that. Okay. And how, like, how, like, what do you mean by that? Like, maybe like, you know, like done like a little going away party or like just something like saying goodbye, like yeah, some contacts before you like head out and not see anyone again. Like, yeah, I mean, something like that. I mean, not that I necessarily needed a party or, you know, anything like that. It just right. was, I, I, I think it was more like I, I wasn't prepared for that, that shift in identity. Like oh, yeah. the, the, the day before I was still a soldier right. and then the next day I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm a veteran, but what, what is a, a veteran actually? Yeah. And it's not, and, not like something I do, you know, it, it's like when, when someone retires from their career, they work for, you know, 40 years or whatever as a, a doctor or a yeah. welder or, or whatever it is. And, you know, they, they go and meet somebody and they say, Oh, what do you do? You know, and they say, Oh, I'm a doctor. And, and, you know, I do this, that, and the other, and, and that's part of their identity. But then when they retire, I mean, still, they technically are a doctor, you know, they still can do the things that they they do, but they don't do that anymore. So now they retire. And what are they? They're a guy who plays golf, you know, five days a week or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's, that's not, doesn't have the same ring to it, you know? And, and, uh, you know, at the time, you know, for National Guard soldiers, we we have civilian jobs as well. And so I was working at an insurance company and like that didn't exactly sound all that exciting. You know, it's not like the same, you know, you go from being a soldier to, you know, I, I work in corporate finance at an insurance company. It's kind of like, ugh, you know, it's, it's just not all that exciting, you know? No, do not. That's awesome. You, you have employment, you know, you are blessed, but I understand like where you're coming from. Just like, yeah. boom, boom, like what? Right. Right. There's, there's, it's definitely two different, uh, you know, levels of, uh, intensity in, in the, those two jobs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, I understand. I mean, whether you're active duty or National Guard uh, reserves, I feel as if like the processing of getting out it. I mean, I I see where you're coming from. Like you didn't have that day to put your uniform on, get your signatures. It's something it's something about that process that you're like, you're making your checklist, like, you know, you have that ETS checklist or PCS checklist and you're you're getting it done. And you're like, I think it's, it's affirmating to see it and to do it. So like you're saying, like, you just, 
one day it was just boom and, and a, like a drop of a hat. So I, I can see that, but how did you, did you kind of struggle with that more so like emotionally or mentally? Um, and like, did it, did you, I mean, I, I don't mean to like impose, but uh, yeah. like, you know, a lot of veterans just really, really struggle with that change. So, I mean, it could bring, it's just like the unexpectedness when you're used to like so much planning, you're just kind of like, what do I do? Who am I? Like, right. what is, like you said, what is a veteran? And, and sometimes those stereotypes and cliches and, and groups can be very um, limiting um, in, in, yeah. in a sense. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I think you, you hit on that. It, it was just, you know, unexpected, you know, mm-hmm. it, like I, I didn't, I didn't even think that this was going to be a problem. Like I, I knew I wanted to get out of the military. I knew I wasn't going to reenlist and and I basically couldn't do anything for the next, you know, six months anyway. So I, I, I was like, you know what, this is, this is the right thing to do. I'm, I'm just going to get out now and, and I'll, it'll just be done. And it just was an unexpected transition like right. that, that I didn't, I wasn't, I knew I was getting out, but I didn't really understand what that meant. In, mm-hmm. in terms of the emotions and and everything like that, you know, I, mm-hmm. I I I didn't really get a chance to say goodbye to the guys that I served with or or anything. I, I it was just like one day I was I was there and the next day I wasn't and and that's it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's uh it, it it was just a bizarre transition, but but you know I I was dealing with a lot of other you know emotional uh, type stuff going on, you know the the. PTSD, which I didn't even realize I had PTSD because again, it was one of those things where I just figured, Hey, you know what? This is something that happens to other people <laughs> again, right. you know, and how wrong was I? <laughs> um, you know, I, I dealt with the, the stresses of combat, uh, you know, the grief of losing my brother. And I don't think I ever really picked up that grief from, from that, uh, battlefield where, where we started getting, uh, taking fire from the, the Taliban and, and pick that up and, and start, dealing with it in a healthy way uh ever again i i think i just i came home and i i was a changed person i i was angry uh i still was angry and and i got frustrated at, at the littlest of things which before going overseas i was a very easygoing guy like i yeah. like nothing really bothered me that much yes. and and when i came home it was like everything set me off every little thing we had a, a newborn at home and and when i i couldn't get him to stop crying because that's what babies do is they cry and i couldn't get them to stop crying i was just angry like i i suck at this being a dad thing and i i'm just a failure and i'm terrible and i you know and all that kind of stuff and i would just get angry at myself and i i yell and i'd you know whatever and it, it just was it was like who am i who is this person like i, ne- I never would have been this way before um and, and so I, d- eventually I decided to go and get help. I, my, my wife and I were like, you know what, this, this has kind of gone on, on long enough. You know, it was one of those things where I was like, you know, maybe I can try to figure it out, fake it till I make it or, or whatever, but, yeah. but that doesn't work, you know? And, um, you know, for some people, maybe it does. I, you know, but for me, it, it definitely didn't. And so I, I went to the vet center to get some, some counseling and I, I went there for a couple of years. Uh, okay. and, and it was, it was helpful and it got, got me to the point where I wasn't quite as mad and frustrated and angry and yelling all the time and, yeah. and stuff like that. But, um, and so I, I figured, you know, what? Hey, I must be cured. 
you know, all everything's good now. And so I stopped going there for, for a little while. And then I started slipping back into some of the old habits and, and some of the old things that I, I was doing. And I, I noticed it in myself. My wife noticed it, you know, I, and I, what kills me the most is I, I notice it in my kids too, because, you know, when, when kids are growing up, they, they learn from watching their parents, you know, they, they learn mm-hmm. how to speak and they learn how to interact with, with people by watching what their parents do. And, and when I noticed, I, I used to do this thing where I'd grit my teeth, like when I was angry or frustrated. And then when I noticed my son doing it too, I was like, holy crap, is this really what I'm, I'm doing for, for my kids? You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm teaching them how to be this angry, frustrated, grumpy old man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're only a few years old and, and like that, that's not a, a good start to, to a life. So yeah. I was like, you know what, I need to, I need to get this right again. And, and so, um, so I went back, I went to the VA this time for, for some more counseling and, and, and got better, you know, through, through the the sessions that I went through and everything that, that they, they provided for me. But um, it made me realize that, you know, mental health is not one of those uh, like one and done kind of things. Like if you go and uh like with physical health, you go to your, your doctor on, for like an annual checkup, right? Mm-hmm. You just, you just go and get a physical, make sure everything's working the way it should be, you know, and mm-hmm. there's no, no warning signs popping up. Right. Like, I don't think it's a bad idea for people to go just, you know, periodically. I don't know if it's once a year or every six months or, you know, I don't know what the, the time frame is and each person maybe is, is even different, but, mm-hmm. but I think it's, it's worth it to just go and, and get a, a quick little checkup to, to see like, mm-hmm you know, is there any, any warning signs, you know, stuff that maybe I'm not r- recognizing in myself, but maybe a third party, some outsider looking in at, at me and my reactions and my, you know, what I'm, uh, saying and doing just so that, you know, uh, should something be piling up, mm-hmm. it doesn't get too high, you know, and I, I make right. the analogy sometimes of, you know, you can sweep things under a rug, you know, and you might be able to get like one or two things under there and not really notice it. But, you know, when you keep sweeping on it, eventually you're gonna have a rug you can't walk on because it's gonna be this big pile of crap in the middle of the, the rug. And, right. and, uh, you know, I, I think that's the same thing with with mental health, like as, as all those little things get swept under the rug, um, you know, eventually, you need to clean them out and, and take, address them and take care of it. You know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so really that's, I mean, that's my, the thing I hope people take away is, is that they, they learn from my mistakes that by no means am I a, you know, professional, like a mental health counselor or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I hope the the people who read, read my book and, and listen to my podcast, they, they, they learn from the mistakes that, that I or other people have made. Um, and, and recognize that there are healthy ways to, to deal with the things that they're going through, that they don't have to struggle in silence all by themselves. Um, you know, and I, I hope that the other people who, who might read my book, the, the people maybe who never served, uh, take away some of the, the sacrifices that we made, uh, while, while we served overseas, the, the sacrifices mm-hmm. that not, not only the, the military has made, but like the, the families and the right. communities that, that we lived in, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, I think you are really going somewhere with that mental health checkups every now and then with, you know, preferably a licensed professional, but yeah. if not, if you, I think, you know, I, I will admit there are people that are still just too afraid to go mm-hmm. to a therapist. So maybe if that even means reaching out to a friend and, and like you yeah. said, just like making note of these little orange flags or red flags 
Um, and then that way it's just like a checkup. You can see like, Hey, am I acting like myself? Like, am mm -hmm. I a little more short fused? Just like you, you can do like a self analysis that way. And yeah. if you start catching yourself slipping, you're like, Oh, let me, let me go back to see someone or, or talk to someone. Or yeah. for me, like I personally do like a little, um, another checklist of just like things that make me come back to me, you know, normal, happy, mellow. Um, especially if I get, you know, again, I don't like being angry, but like it happens. So just like breathing techniques, coloring for a little bit, you know, going for a walk or like looking at cat pictures, something, but it, it is really good to do that checkup yeah. every now and then, you know, I think that way, like you said, if, if you can't see it yourself with situations or your feelings, someone else will be able to see that and help you before it's too late. So that is so important. And I, I really appreciate, again, your honesty and just opening up about that. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about the book? Like what, what was it like writing it? Well, it, it was a very long process. Um, yeah. So I, I started just more in like a journal format, not in a, any sort of book format. It was more uh, writing down things that, that happened, places that I went to, events mm. that took place, things I was feeling at, at the time. Um, shortly after I, I returned from Afghanistan, I just started writing some of these things down. And and as things occurred, you know, throughout the the you know, next few months and, and things like that, I, I would add things to it. Mm. Um, and, and it was really just kind of like a journal, uh, for me. And, and the reason why I did it was because I knew, um, I knew my kids would, would grow up. I, at the time I only had one son, but uh, we were planning on having more kids mm. and now we have, we have three. Um, and I knew that they would grow up and they'd have questions about my time in the military, what I did in Afghanistan, what happened to their uncle, you know, what, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I also knew that with time memory fades and things get distorted in your mind. And I didn't, I didn't want to give them a distorted view of what actually happened. So mm -hmm. I wrote down all this stuff. So I'd have the facts, like as I remember them at the time. And, and then I, I used that, you know, a few years ago, I, I decided to turn that into a book. And so I started writing it uh, right around the time I started my podcast, uh, somewhere mm -hmm. around there. And and I I decided to put it into a book format because, like I said before, I think it's important for us to tell our stories, yeah. um, no no matter how big or small. You know, I was, you know, I didn't I didn't play this huge role where I was commanding, you know, an entire uh, you know division of troops or anything like that. I, I, you know, I, I wasn't like a, you know, general level or anything like that. I was, I was just one of the, the grunts on the ground who was doing, doing the, the work. And I think it's important to hear those stories. I, and so I wanted to, to get it out there. And, and at first I didn't, I didn't know exactly how, what I was going to write it as I was, you know, I, when I first started, I think I was going to start writing it as like a self-help book. But then I was like, I don't even have my own stuff together. So how am I going to tell anyone else how to do it? So, um, I but, feel that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, but, but then, then I realized it, it was really like a story of, you know, who I am, who my brother was and, and like just t telling people all about the individuals who were fighting this war and, and I, I wanted to tell my brother's story, especially because he, he can't anymore. 
and and I talk about this a little bit in the book too, but when, when I came home uh, from Afghanistan, there were news vans lining up and down my parents' street right outside their house. And when I saw them, it just in, enraged me. I was, I was still de- dealing with anger issues, but I, I was looking at them and I was like, these vultures are here, you know, to, to just pick at whatever pieces of the story they can get. And I, I, I didn't even want to talk to them, but then it dawned on me that if I don't talk to them, if my family doesn't talk to them, then they're going to, they're going to run a story one way or the other. And they're going to probably just go to some random person in a parking lot, grocery store parking lot or something and just say, Hey, what do you think about the local soldier who was killed in Afghanistan? And that would be some generic BS kind of story. And and I was like, you know what? I, I don't want that for, for my brother. You know, I, I want people to know who he was and, and get the, the real, like fr- straight from the source, like from his family, who he was, what he was all about and all that. And so I wanted to do the same thing with this book. I wanted to tell his story, talk about who he was. I tell some funny stories in, in there about things that he did. Um, he was, he was, a just a big, you know, ball of fun. Like he lit up the room whenever he walked in and, and you could always count on him for, for a good time when, whenever you were out doing something, he, he'd always make it fun. And so, so I tell stories about that type of stuff, like how, how he made things fun. Um, and you'll, you'll have to read the book to get this one, but you'll never look at bubble gum the same way. Um, just, <laughs> I'll, I'll just give that little, little teaser in there. So you'll have to read the book to find out okay, what, all right. I'm, what I'm talking about, but, yeah. um, you know, it, and so he, you know, I, that, that's one of the reasons that, you know, telling his story, just getting, getting that out there. And that, that it was a difficult thing for me to do. And I, whenever I started writing about the day he died and, and there's a whole section of the book dedicated to the day he died, I would always tiptoe around that. I'd start writing a couple words and I'd move on to something else and I'd be like, oh yeah, that's right. I want to write about this other thing. I, I just put it off so much and, you know, procrastinate as much as possible on that because I didn't want to face it again. I don't think, you know, and it was, it was hard for me to face, but once when I did, once when I put it on the, on the paper, it was like, I, uh, weight was lifted off my shoulders and I, I, I got it out there and I was like, you know what, this doesn't feel better, you know, that, that, you know, he's still dead. So it's not like it's bringing him back, but it feels good to be able to tell his story. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, that, that I can actually do that for him. And I, I feel blessed that I'm, I'm able, I'm still here and I'm able to, to do that for him mm-hmm. and, and, represent him in the best way that I, I think I can. And, yeah. and that's, that's hopefully what I'm doing. Yeah. I really respect that. Um, I think he would be so proud of you. Uh, I don't, not sure what you believe in, but yeah, just, again, I'm blown away by your strength and, and you're absolutely right. Um, about how memory can kind of distort things. So writing things down is, is something that I've been doing too. Yeah. Um, and cherishing those good memories that way it's not all sad and bad, but, um, <laughs> that was, that was, that was heavy. Um, then thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. But, um, so you said that during the time that you were writing the book, you were also starting your podcast. What drew you to start the podcast? Yeah. So uh, shortly before I started the podcast, um, we had several soldiers over the course of a few years, uh, that I served with over in Afghanistan who took their own lives after coming back home. And so, you know, we, we went that whole deployment. We didn't lose soldiers, uh, in, in my company. And, you know, we, we came home and then we, then we started losing them. And, yeah. and I was like, that, 
that just that sucks. It's not gonna that doesn't sit right with me. I'm not yeah. I'm not gonna just sit around waiting for another phone call that telling me that someone had, had killed themselves and mm -hmm. like I, I can't just sit around like that. So right. I decided, you know, I wanted to reach not not just the guys that I served with. I wanted to reach veterans in general because I I started hearing more and more about the the 22 a day and, and all that stuff. And that I, I knew it was a problem in the, the community in the veteran community. And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know a whole lot of the details behind it, but, um, I, I started looking into it and I, I realized that there was, it was not just suicide that that was a problem. There was, you know, substance abuse, there was, uh, you know, homelessness, there was a, a wide range of, of other issues that the veterans were having. And I wanted to address these things. And I wanted to provide a platform for people to come on and share their stories, much like I was sharing my story in, in my book, but um, to give them a voice and, and share their story. Um, just yet another way for their stories to be told, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and have a, a place where, where you can go and, and hear these stories. And I wanted the stories to be inspirational so that when other veterans are listening to these stories, they're like, you know what, I can kind of relate to that. I was going through something similar. And you know what, if that guy can figure it out, why can't I figure it out? You know, and let me listen to what this person did. And maybe that'll work for me too. Maybe it won't, but you know, maybe it will. And it, and it at least gives them hope, you know, because some, sometimes people are, are on that edge and they're, they're just ready to give up hope. They, they think that they're all alone in this issue and that there's nobody else in the world who's ever dealt with it. And chances are you're wrong. There's probably someone else who went through something similar. Um, you know, if not the same exact situation, it may be similar enough that you can, you can learn some lessons from how they did it. And so that's, that's what I want to do is, is share those stories so that the, the people who are uh, struggling, they're not struggling alone. And sometimes that's all you need is just knowing that you're not alone. Um, but I also, I also like to share uh, resources that are available. Um, the, there's no, tons of nonprofits, other organizations that are out there who are doing work for veterans, but a lot of them are are small organizations, a grassroots kind of thing where, where they're mm -hmm. they're they don't have huge budgets for advertising like a wounded warrior project or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You know, they're but they're out there doing really great work for for veterans. And what I want to have happen is to to get them the attention that they deserve so that they can help as many veterans as possible. Because sometimes let's just face it. Sometimes veterans are just not comfortable with going to the VA for whatever reason, or maybe they're just not qualified to use a VA service, maybe the, the type of discharge that they had or whatever, but it doesn't mean that they don't still need some help with one thing or another. And there are organizations out there who don't care if you were, you know, other than honorably discharged or dishonorably discharged or whatever. They don't, if you put on the uniform at one point or another, they, they say, okay, cool, we're going to help you. And that's what, that's what they're, they're there for. And, and they're out there coming up with these creative, innovative solutions to, to help out veterans in a variety of different ways. Um, you know, just recently I talked to somebody uh, who was a, uh, uh, NFL, former NFL, uh, referee, and he created a program that helps get veterans into officiating sports, be it football, baseball, soccer, mm -hmm. basketball, volleyball, what you name it. If you can, if you can officiate it, they'll, they'll help mm -hmm. you get into it. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, 
when you look at the characteristics that are needed for someone to be uh, an official in, in any of these sports, veterans usually check a lot of the boxes. And so they're, they're a perfect fit, you know? And so that, that give, that can, you know, you're not going to make a, a fortune, you know, especially at the lower levels and, you know, the high school, uh, you know, sports or whatever, but, but you can work your way up into the college and then, you know, potentially even into the professional levels where you can make a pretty de decent living. Um, but even at the lower levels where you might be, be, you know, just working a, you know, a couple of nights a week here and there, um, you're, you're, you have a new sense of purpose, yeah. you know, and that gives that, and, and it might, you know, if you're really into sports, that that's something that you can you can have a purpose and enjoy at the same time, and so a lot of times we we lose that sense of purpose, and so that's just one example. There's there's just so many examples of of different organizations out there that that I've talked to who are helping in one way or another, and they're they're just doing things that you wouldn't even think of, mm -hmm. and and so when it's one of those things where you wouldn't necessarily think of it, right. you don't know what to look for if you don't know what to. to you know, that they're out there. So I, I want to just give these, these, uh, organizations a voice mm -hmm. and, and let them be known and let them be heard. And so that way, when, uh, someone's out there and they're struggling, they, they can look at the different things that we have, uh, on, on the podcast and, uh, you know, hopefully find a solution that works for them. Yeah, that's really wonderful, Scott. I love that so much. And I, I can definitely relate to that. Um, I think, I have spoken to a lot of people, whether it was like in a professional manner or just, you know, personally, just throughout my journey, I have met a lot of veterans that have a sense of pride of not going to the VA, but yeah. still struggling, like you mentioned. And so I think the fact that you're putting out, you know, these businesses and nonprofits just like on a platform, I think that's amazing because, for example, for that demographic of people who struggle to reach out, it's more of like, hey, I can just make a quick call. I can make an email. Like, I don't know. I think, like you said, there's something about like maybe walking into the VA that might be a little overwhelming or, yeah. or I don't know. But that's just awesome that you're getting the word out there um, through your podcast because um, I think military podcasts have really blown up lately. And um, and that's just, that's just great. I think you're doing some really great work. Like you're saying, like, you're not just doing push-ups or just hanging out at home. You're not just talking the talk, you're walking the walk too. And I, right. I really, really respect that. And unfortunately the VA is still a little slow when it comes to these new and innovative programs and types of therapy. So yeah. that's where amplifying these voices is really important because like you said, it could be like fly fishing for veterans, which is right. really awesome. Um, it, it, I don't know, female veterans, I think you should give it a try. It, it's not just for men. It's really relaxing and really fun. And like you said, you find community, you find a sense of purpose. And sometimes it's just getting out of the house. Yeah. It sounds scary. Hear me out. I have struggled with that. But getting out of the house is is just really going to amplify um, your healing journey and and becoming a better version of yourself. Like you said, just finding that sense of identity, purpose, community, mm -hmm. friends, and and putting yourself in a healthy, um, healthy kind of like sector or niche, because unfortunately, after getting out, you know, or being in veteran groups, it can be very, you know, like alcohol oriented sometimes. And I'm not gonna lie, you know, that that can be really um, 
difficult for some, especially me. I took a break from drinking for a while. So I just, I had to look for different things to get into to right. just kind of, you know, take a little break from that. Nothing wrong with it. It's just, you know, just personally in my journey, I was just experiencing that. So um, I'm really glad that you also mentioned that. Like, again, like get creative with your healing. It doesn't have to just be therapy and talking about it. It can be just getting out into nature, joining yeah. like a mountain bike club. And, and like you said, there's just like a little bit of everything. And that's where the profit of like nonprofit the <laughs> that's where like nonprofit really like um, really thrives is just like the fact that they can do so many things. And, right. um, and yeah, it doesn't always have to be wounded warrior project and working with communities like on a small level is, is really nice. You know, it's, I kind of like that. Um, it's like, it's just more personable. It is. Yeah. And not too overwhelming because sometimes that's, that's kind of hard, you know? Yeah. And, and you touched on something there too, you know, where, uh, you know, like getting outdoors and, you know, things like that. It, like it doesn't necessarily have to be going to a traditional therapy mm. type scenario. Um, you know, an, another guy that I had on the podcast, I served with him uh, as well, but um, he, he was talking about how getting outdoors, whether he's hiking or mountain climbing or, kayaking or you know whatever he's doing he's getting outdoors and that serves as as like everything for him it's it's his it's his church it's his therapy it's his gym it's his like it's all these things all wrapped into one where you know he he might be out there by himself just hiking uh you know in the the woods by you know near his house or whatever but but he's he's able to just kind of clear his thoughts and and get out of his own head and and kind of just process things in a better way. And you know what? That might work great for him. May not work for everybody. Right. But there's there's something else. You know, there there's probably something that can work for you. There's there's arts and you can get into, you know, painting or sculpting or whatever. You can you can get into so many different things and 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 they all have a similar uh, effect where where you just kind of get out of your head and and you you stop thinking about those those things that are those demons that are inside your head and, and you, you focus on whatever that activity is. It could be yeah. baking, it could be playing an instrument, it could be whatever, you know, fixing a car or, you know, like car maintenance type stuff. Like, like you could do so many things and, and just kind of just get focused on them. And, and those, those little things might just be enough for you that you don't need uh, therapy necessarily, yeah, right. you know, the traditional therapy, and that could be your own form of therapy. So, you know, if you think that you've tried everything, I'm going to probably guess if I was a, if I was a betting man, I would mm -hmm. bet that you probably haven't tried everything yet. Um, right. there, there's so many things out there. Um, and if you think that you've tried everything, check out the podcast, uh, drive on podcast and, and see, uh, you know, see what other things are out there. Um, right. and, and if there's something, if you've tried all the things that we've talked about on this podcast, let me know, reach out to me directly and let me know, I'll find something else. <laughs> you know, right. I'll, yeah, like, I'll get somebody else on the show. It's yeah. out there. And I mean, it'd be great to just pick their mind because yeah. I'm sure there are people like that, that are, uh, that can be frustrated in their journey. I've been there before, just like. Hey, I've been I've been doing it. Like, what's going on? Like, right. thinking X, Y, Z thoughts. You know, usually negative. And I'm just like, what What's the deal? So I think 
I like that, that challenge, but also like, yeah, like challenge yourself, like do something a little different and see where that takes you. Because that, that might, might be the difference, but just now when you were talking, I feel as if maybe in, in some way, uh, I feel as if maybe like working with your hands and, and getting out there and being in a good environment or situation or, or community, it, it, it almost like, it's almost like you physically take whatever you're struggling with and you're just like unwinding a ball of yarn mm-hmm. and slowly you get, you know, nice smooth threads of clarity or, or, or maybe even like closure in, in just, yeah. just being active, but just sitting on the couch and wallowing and, you know, just, in your own labyrinth of suffering like it's it's it that you're it's just i get it but like you got to get off your butt and that's me talking to myself like a couple years ago so like i've been i've been there in the journey so like you're just really like you're preaching to the choir and i hope that this resonates with my audience it's just like you have every right to feel what you feel but there's there's so many things out there that you can try and you know just don't give up hope because it's out there and like you said you can listen to other stories of people who have persevered so scott i really appreciate you just you know opening up about your book and your podcast like i think you're doing some amazing things in the community and um and yeah i just can't wait to see like what else your creative journey like brings so um where can we find your podcast where can we find your book i gotta get it so yeah yeah, let's hear it so the podcast is uh, driveonpodcast.com or, you know, just search for Drive On Podcast wherever you listen to, to uh, podcasts. Uh, in the book, uh, Surviving Sun, you can get it on Amazon. It's in Kindle, paperback, and hardcover formats there. So uh, you can get all three of those uh, options on Amazon. Just search for uh, Surviving Sun. Uh, but if you go to driveonpodcast.com, uh, there's a link up there at the top that'll take you to to the book so you can you can find it there as well um but yeah awesome. amazon's where where it's being sold for now so perfect i love it and i'm so proud of you by the way like that's i mean it's hard and like you said like writing it was difficult you tried to tiptoe around that but yeah. i i'm really proud of you for doing it and get it getting it out there and like i said I, i'm i'm sure that your brother is is really really proud of you um, are you on Facebook or Instagram, TikTok, any of that? Like, I'd love to post yeah. those as well. Yeah, uh, Drive On Podcast is on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. Ooh, I think that's awesome. it. Okay, um, great. I'll be sure to link all those. I'll s- send you all the links to all the, the social stuff too, so um, so you can have that. And uh, and yeah. Yeah, thanks so much. Is there anything else that you'd like to uh, leave the audience with besides, you know, your links and the book? Yeah, I I guess I would I would just encourage everyone who who's listening. You know, if you are struggling with someone with something, uh, don't struggle alone. There, don't suffer in silence. You you are not alone in whatever the the struggle is that you're going through, I guarantee someone else out there has struggled with it too. Learn from them, you know, accept their help. There's people out there who want to help you and they want to give you a better path, a better direction to to go through. Um, And, and don't, don't do it alone. 
you know, you, you can definitely find uh, the resources. And, and if you need help finding them, uh, reach out, let me know. And, uh, you know, I, if I don't know the resource for whatever it is you're going through, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll help you find it, um, you know, and we'll, we'll get through it. That's a true NCO right there. Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. I really appreciate you, and you're just such a gem. Like, really, there. We need more folks like you in the in the community. But thank you so much for just opening up and and yeah, sharing your your journey with me. That's really really appreciated. Right. Thank you. Thanks for allowing me to to share my story. Yeah, of course. All right. All right.